Hosea, the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 11. I, uh, I look at this, and I've been looking at this all week and just thinking to myself, uh, well, I just have a confession I need to make, you, make to you today is that I just don't understand. I, I, I have seen this a number of times. Um, I'm, I've been thinking about a number of things this week, but I'm thinking right now of this little girl that, that I've watched since she was not, a, I guess, a toddler, well, actually before that, probably since she was born. Great home life, uh, parents who loved her deeply, uh, someone who gave her, uh, parents who gave her absolutely everything that she needed, probably everything that she wanted. She, she, they tried their best, though, to raise her in the discipline and the love of the Lord. But then to see her grow up and to reject all of that and go down a path of trouble, a, ba- a path of unwise decisions, a path of unwise relationships, and I... I, you know, I, I don't understand how someone who is loved at the depths that this young girl has been loved, who can so completely just change, who can turn the other direction. And I don't know why I don't understand that, because I have seen it so often, and I don't know why I don't understand it in light of the, uh, the, the story of Scripture, because I think that Scripture is so abundantly clear that those are issues that, that we face all of the time. You don't have to look very far in the story that we've been telling uh, for the past several weeks uh, to recognize that mankind has been doing that very thing to God ever since the very beginning. Scripture, uh, so I don't don't know why I'm responding with such a surprise to this, really. But I am. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve absolutely everything. I mean, he said, you can have it all. There's just one minor, one minor little thing. That little tree over there, don't touch it. Um, we've talked about this before, right? We always think about all the prohibitive things that God is going to do. When we look at the Garden of Eden, it's like, he wouldn't let them touch that. No, he said, you can have everything in the world, everything that you see, except that one tree. He gave them everything. Don't eat from that tree over there called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do? They ate from that tree. And we go a little bit further down into the story, and you watch God as he observes his people, and they are enslaved in Egypt, and he hears the, the text literally says that he hears their cries, and so he responds by sending them Moses to lead them. And they have this absolutely incredible, incredible experience of, of observing God work through these, work these incredible miracles against the gods of Egypt. Every one of those plagues, a, 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 a confrontation against every single one of Egypt's gods. He takes them across the Red Sea in this miraculous experience of being redeemed and freed. Every day there was food on the ground. I mean, they didn't even have to work for it, right? They just had to go and pick that up. When they ran out of water, Moses spoke to a rock and gushed out, and it gushed forth uh, water that rock did. And what did they do? They grumbled, they complained because they wanted meat. And I, see, I just don't know why I'm surprised why when God's people respond badly to what he does for them. He, we watched them. Forty years later, they have that same kind of experience as they did of crossing the Red Sea. Now, this time, they've been wandering in the wilderness. They're invited to cross over the Jordan River. 
God will give them this land, this land of Jericho, that it will be theirs. They can have it. They walk up to this walled city. They walk around it once, uh, once per every day. On the seventh day, they walk around it a few more times. They never lift a sword. They simply shout, and the city walls just collapse right in, and God gives them Jericho. And what happens? Achan takes some of the loot, buries it under his tent, and they suffer defeat in the very next battle. I mean, how many stories would you like, right? God continues to be with him. He says, I'll be your leader. I'll be, I'll be a king for you. I'll be responsible for you. I will lead you. And what do they do? They clamor. We want a king like everybody else. God, you're not good enough for us, so make us like the rest of the world. Give us a leader. So he says, okay, I'll give you a leader. In fact, I'll give you a king who has absolutely everything. He is absolutely brilliant. He's a military marvel. He has my heart. And what does he do? Instead of choosing God, he chooses Bathsheba, and he loses four sons. And we could go through the story over and over and over and over and again. God offers promises, and he offers care. God gives his people everything that they could possibly want, and they choose to worship Baal or some other kind of idol. They choose to be unfaithful. And I'm not sure why I'm surprised by that, but I, I confess that I continue to be surprised at God's people. I want you to listen to a passage. I want you to hear the way that God speaks in this context of trying so hard to say to his people, I really am on your side. This is actually not going to be the text we're going to be landing on, but I want you to hear this. It's just God in this context of trying to say, you know, I really do want you in some sort of a relationship with me. In fact, I will do almost anything that I, I need to do in order to keep this relationship going. That's a great picture of God, isn't it? And so he has this prophet, Amos, say this. Amos chapter 4, starting with verse number 6, he says, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse number 7, I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and it dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many, time I, many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me. Verse number 10 says, I sent plagues on you. You haven't returned to me. Verse number 11 says, I overthrew some of you, but you didn't return to me. I mean, it's over and over again. On the one hand, he says, you know, I've, I've done these wonderful things, and Israel walks away. But yet, on the other hand, he says, if that doesn't work, I'm going to discipline you to get your attention, to draw you back to me, and you still ignore me, you still pay no attention to me. And I think there's a story here that we have been walking through since Genesis chapter 1. God's story is the story of God calling to his people and calling to his people and calling to his people and saying, I really want nothing more than just to have a relationship with you. Won't you just listen to me? Why won't you come to me? Why won't you be faithful to me? 
And every time that happens, I mean, it's, I just don't get it. I, I, th I think of a young man who was just, uh, this guy who was just so excited, I mean, just about his new faith, a brand new Christian, just bubbling with it. But so excited about his faith. Came to church with his wife, brought his children. They just, they're just, uh, it, it's just so exciting to see all that on their faces. That, but one day, all of a sudden, I mean, they came for a while. And, and all of a sudden, one day, he didn't come with her. And uh, people would ask, of course, because they want to know what's, what's going on. And, uh, and for a while, there was the typical response like, well, he, you know, he had to work late and, you know, and it just so on and so forth. And, but finally, she decided to talk to me about the story. And evidently, this fellow had forgotten what it was like to be a teenager, and um, he missed that part of his life. And so he chose to leave his wife, leave his family, pursue other things. Um, but here's what she told me. She said, um, when you finally wake up, when you finally realize what you're missing, when you finally realize what you've done to me, what you've done to our children, what, you've, what you're giving up, we'll still be here. Now that, that to me is some, some pretty brave words. But she's still there. She's still waiting. And I really confess to you that I just don't understand how it is that people, that, that they can see and they can experience the kind of love that God pours out on people, and they just continue to walk away from that kind of love. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it. One of my favorite texts of Scripture is the book of Hosea. One of my favorite texts within that favorite text is the 11th chapter of the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 11, starting with verse number 1. But I want you to, as we read through this, I want you to listen for the language that God uses to talk about His relationship with His children. This is remarkable. Verse number 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. I hope that sounds familiar to us. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. You know, the image that I really have in my mind is the image of a, of a parent who is trying to, to uh, you know, this child who is learning how to walk and the parent who is actually holding their hands up and helping them walk. You guys remember that, right? Some of you do. <laughs> that is the image that God is talking about here. They didn't know, he says, that I was the one that was holding their hands and helping them to walk. He, he's talking like a father who has this, this, this deeply ingrained experience of, of knowing his children and loving his children and caring for his children. But look what he says in verse number four. He says, I led them with cords of human kindness, with the ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their necks and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even if they call to the Most High, He will by no means exalt them. I want you to hear that last line again. 
because that to me is a very frightening line of Scripture. Even if they call to the Most High, He will not exalt them. Does God ever run out of patience? Does God ever get tired of his children just totally ignoring him? Does, does he ever just reach the place where he says, you know, listen, I have done everything that I, that I know how to do for you, and you're still not listening to me? See, I, I really confess that I am somewhat puzzled. The, the difficulties, well, the began in this incident. I, I think at least you could say that you could trace the difficulties when this young fellow was in junior high. He began to be a little bit rebellious. It was subtle at first, and his parents just assumed that it was the kind of thing that you would expect from teenagers. But by high school, things had been, the, the behavior just became more and more and more serious, so that by high school, it became serious enough that there was this conf confrontation one day when his father took the suitcase, sat it at the front door, and said, okay, son, you've got two choices, and there, here's what they are. You can live under our roof by our rules, or there's the door and here's your suitcase. And I think about those parents, and I honestly don't know how they endured. I don't know how they patiently, they, 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 they encouraging and praying and challenging and praying and, and engaging and then pulling back and, 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 and listening to all of the the flack and the lip and, the, and, and all of the things until one day, you know, they just all of a sudden one day he showed back up again. And I don't know if his heart is where it belongs, but I can tell you that there is a remarkable change in this man's life. And yet I'm still amazed at those parents who literally refuse to give up. I, I don't know if put in that situation if I would do the same thing. But I'm amazed at the parents who literally refused to give up, who had just the kind of patience to wait and to wait and to wait and to wait. But, but I don't know why I'm surprised by, by that, really. Because after all, that's really what the God of Scripture is portrayed to be like. I mean, here they are in the Garden of Eden. God says, these are all the things that you can have, and they choose to eat the wrong one. And what does he do? He's, he's the one who provides them with the coat. He's the one that provides them with the clothing. He's the one who takes care of them and covers them. They go out into the Israel or into the wilderness, and yes, they moan and they groan and complain and they gripe and they, and they want this and they want that. And so what does God do? He gives them manna. He gives them water. He gives them quail. And they get themselves in deeper trouble. Every time they turn around, they're falling into worse and worse and worse sin. And so what does God do? He raises up judges. He raises up people like Deborah and Samson and Gideon. And he takes care of them and he redeems them and he calls them back to himself. One more time he comes back to them. And I think of the story of King David and how he was a man after God's own heart. And yet he has this an affair with, a, a affair with Bathsheba. And yet God used him to bring the Messiah to write the Hebrew Psalter to give us 150 hymns to sing. I think about Israel and their Baal worship and how God, in an attempt to discipline them one more time, sent them to Babylon. 
They stayed there for 70 years, but after 70 years of discipline, he brought them back home and gave them the land again. I think of Peter, the Apostle Peter, who made this promise, I will not deny you, Jesus. I don't care what anybody else does. I will not forsake you. And what does he do? Three times he says, I don't know who he is. And Jesus meets him on a beach one morning and has breakfast with him and says, Peter, do you love me? Because I have got big plans for you. I am going to do things in your life that you just cannot even imagine. I think of the Apostle Paul before we even ever knew him as an apostle. He's a Jewish zealot killing killing Christians to try to stop the church. And God comes down on the road to Damascus and says, yeah, I know. But I want you to be an apostle of the Gentiles. I want you to go to kings. There is something about God's incredible patience with us. I want you to come back to Hosea 11. The last thing that we read was verse number 7. Even if they call to me, I will be by no means listen. It, it, it's, it's almost like in the text here that there, there's just some sort of a dramatic pause while God catches his breath and then listen to what he says in verse number 8. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? Those are sister cities, by the way, of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. How can I destroy you like I destroyed them? My heart, he says, is changed within me. All of my compassion is aroused, aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Do you hear what this, do you hear what this text is saying? As bad as you choose to be, God never gives up that he refuses to give up. See, God is the ultimate seeker. Say amen. God is the ultimate seeker. What God, when man chooses to disobey God from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, there's this inherent, innate, innate experience within us. We know that we have left God. We know that, that, we know that in our heart, and we begin to hide from Him. And what does the text say? God came looking for them in the garden. God came looking for them. And the most famous parable that Jesus may have ever told, there was a father who had a couple of sons, and one of the sons came to his dad, and he said, Dad, you know what? I want my inheritance early. And so he takes it, he goes off to the far country, uh, and he lives unrighteously, he wastes all of his father's money until he found, him, in, in, until he found himself feeding pigs and wishing that he could eat the, the slop that the pigs were eating. And he decided, when he came to his senses, to come home. And, and here is this dignified Jewish father standing on the front porch, and he's straining every day to, just to, to get a glimpse of his son. 
And somewhere down the driveway, he sees the shadow of one who looks familiar. And the next thing you do, you, you know, he is doing what no Jewish father does. He is running down that lane and he takes his son and he throws his arms around him and he won't even let him finish his speech. And he says, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring some shoes, put them on my son. My son is home. God is the ultimate seeker. He never gives up. He never stops standing on the porch looking. He never says, I've had enough. All he wants, all that God has ever wanted <clears throat> is to live in a relationship with you and with me, to have you say, you are my God. You are my God. That's all. All that time when he said, I did all this stuff to you, I did all this stuff to you, and it was always in the context of this, and yet you did not return to me. It was always an attempt to draw them back to himself. God is the ultimate seeker, and I, I, I think that we must be the ultimate hiders. I found this really interesting. I, I just... I had, to, I had to share this with you today. It's, it's, uh, I'm going to read most of it here. Uh, and I've, I've read it before, and I just kind of came across it again this week and went, wow, I've got to use that. But a boss was wondering why one of his most valued employees had not phoned in sick one day, having an urgent problem with one of his main computers. So he, did, he dialed the employee's home phone number and, greeted, and was greeted by a child's whisper. Hello? Yeah, is your daddy home? Yes. May I talk to him? No. Surprised and wanted to talk to an adult, the boss said, Is your mommy there? Yes. May I talk to her? No. Hoping that there was somebody with whom he could leave a message, the boss said, Is anyone else there? Yes, a policeman. Well, wondering what a cop would be doing at his employee's home, the boss said, Well, may I speak with the... <laughs> May I speak with the policeman? No, he's busy. <laughs> busy doing what? Talking to Daddy and Mommy and the firemen. Getting more worried as he heard what sounded like a helicopter through the earpiece of the phone, the boss had asked, what's that noise? A helicopter. Well, what's going on there? Again whispering, the child answered, the search team just landed the helicopter. Alarmed and concerned, a little frustrated, he said, well, what are they searching for? They're searching for me. <laughs> I, I really have to confess to you, <laughs> we live in a culture. We live in a culture filled with people who are hiding behind the couch. I think that there are some that may even know that God is looking for them, calling for them. And if they're like most people, maybe what they're looking for, maybe they're looking for explanations, maybe they're looking for excuses, maybe they're looking for some way to rationalize or give God some reason why they don't want to come home. 
But see, God is not looking for any of those things. He's not looking for words at all. All God simply wants is for people to come and to give themselves to Him, to respond to Him in worship, and to make Him the one who is central in their lives. But here's the thing. The burden that you and I need to share as Christians is to make sure that the people all around us hear that message. To hear the message that God is not looking for excuses, that God is not looking for explanations, that God is not looking for words at all, that He's looking for you and He's looking for me. And so I think here's the challenge. This challenge is for everyone. It's for you and I. But it's also, it's also for, for all of those who live around us when we, in, in our culture. The challenge is for each of us to make sure that our families and our friends and our co-workers and our acquaintances and the people that we rub shoulders with and the people that are across the street from us and the people that are in the grocery stores next to us, the people that we see each and every day, that they begin to hear that message that God is the ultimate seeker, that there's freedom from their guilt, there's hope from their guilt, there's freedom All they need to do is come to Him. God is the ultimate seeker. We need to hear that. They need to hear that. We need to share that because they need to hear that. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing thing to recognize who You are. And I, I am just overwhelmed over and over. I, I confess I do not understand it. Why would you just over and over again be so patient, be so kind? And I just, I just admit freely that, that we just, we don't get that. It's not part of our, of our culture to just forgive and to forgive and to love and to seek and, and to do that like that. Except that maybe we have a little bit of you in us because we are made, after all, in your image. And so as maybe as a parent, I can understand some of that. And yet I stand with you with my, uh, just in, in awe and in praise of your willingness to be so patient and so caring and so seeking. Thank you for being the ultimate seeker. And God, my prayer for myself is that I would ultimately, yes, respond to you. And my prayer for all of those around me is that they would hear that message, that they would respond to you and be freed from their guilt and be freed from whatever it is that they're going through. That they can come to you and they can know who you are. We have a culture that's telling us a lie some that want to trivialize you, that want to make you seem like you're not, you're just a, a good luck charm. But they need to see who the true God is. And we need to see that too. And be convicted of that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've shown us today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.